something huge. We are at a crossroads and the future is completely within our control. We're living through the single biggest culture shift of our time. This is the time for us to just really take charge. That's what revolutions do. They enable the impossible. Sometimes your best marketing is free. Today we talk with Julie Herodine. She has worked at Dropbox, Netscape, Yahoo, Shutterfly. She's a pioneer of the world of freemium software and freemium marketing. Let's dive into our conversation with Julie. I'm Kip Bodner, and this is The Growth Show. Okay, so I, we have a lot of stuff to talk about, and <laughs> awesome. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think I, you've 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 been very busy. What's interesting to me about your experience is that you've been been highly evolved in this freemium world, and you were evolved in the very early days of it on the Netscape side, and you've been doing freemium before mo- most people were even thinking about it. And so, I think what what I'd love to hear about is what was it like in the very early days of freemium and how, do, how, do, how have you seen that evolve uh, from, from then to today, I guess? Yeah, I'd say the, the early days of freemium, we didn't call it freemium. And I think <laughs> what did you uh, call you're it? just call it, you're just trying to, trying to figure out your marketing plan. Right? <laughs> as a marketer and as a marketing leader, you're really just trying to figure out like what's the best way to connect the, you know, this awesome product that we have with customers and help grow the business. Uh, so in, in some of the early examples of freemium, I think Shutterfly is a great example of this, where I was, I was founding marketing and it was, started when it was 12 people. And uh, there we were just trying to figure out what's the best way to expose customers to this pretty radically new product. You have to kind of take yourself back to 1998 and say people were just starting to use digital cameras. And we were trying to convince them there was a better way to, to share, to print and share photos online. So for us, using freemium was really a way to introduce them to the product and take as much of the kind of friction out of them trying the product as possible. Because we felt that once they saw the benefit, and, and they always say to get someone to use a new product, it really has to be like 10 times better than mm-hmm. the old product. So to get people to see that, that 10x improvement in how they could do photos, we really needed them to be able to try the product. Um, and be able to get comfortable using some set of features on the product for free um, so that then they would uh, want to actually try the products that were, were paid. Yeah, and so, you know, it strikes me in the early days of freemium, and like I think Shutterfly is a really good example of this, is not only did it have to be 10x better because they were used to doing something else, but it was a, it's a real paradigm shift, you know? You're asking people to like stop going to their like, pharmacy around the corner and printing pictures and like upload them onto a site and print them out and have them sit in the mail which is like an incredibly different experience little you know not just the same experience done better but a very different experience how did you how did you all think about that how do you how do you think about transforming behavior i think there are a lot of people listening right now who've who don't have a better mousetrap. They've got, you know, they have a new mousetrap and they, they, they have a kind of a transformative sales process or, uh, or, or acquisition process that they're trying to take to market. How does that actually work? You know, I always call this kind of when you have something that's really transformative and you're trying to get users to do something in a radically different way, I always say that you need to make sure you're getting the, the pain gain equation to work for the end user, right? Because in trying to get them to do something a different way, 
and this is the case with Shutterfly, there's some pain involved, right? Yeah. People don't like change. Uh, in this case, people had to figure out how to upload a photo to the Internet. Kind of tough. Um, so you have to think about how do you reduce that pain, um, either through making a product free or through providing more sales support as you're going through the process so that you can get them to see the benefit. Because the belief is once they see the benefit, then they're going to be willing to make some of the changes that are required in that paradigm shift, as you say, um, to really move to a different way of doing things. Once you've got them in the product starting to do new things, I think one of the other challenges about a, a free product is like, what activity do you have them take? Like I think about Shutterfly as somebody who's used it in the past. We're using that as kind of our uh, example right now. There's a bunch of different stuff you can do, right? Like there's a bunch of different services that are provided. So like when somebody's just getting started, how do you know what actions to actually have them do? That is one of the key things for a freemium marketer to figure out is what are they, what do we call them like the aha moments? You know, and what are those aha moments that you want to get users to so that they, they see the benefit of the service? Um, and, you know, and you can look at so many different freemium examples, but just in the case of Shutterfly, we found that, uh, you know, there was really steps people needed to go through. There was uploading the photo, but that alone wasn't enough. You didn't get to the aha moment until they were able to share that photo online with others. And once they had done that, once they put a name in the address book and they had a photo they wanted to share, they started to understand the benefit of the model, even though ultimately you still needed them to take another step in order to purchase prints or buy photo books or make their Christmas card on Shutterfly. Uh, we found that there were like that, those key actions that we needed users to take. And, and the great thing about freemium models is that they are, they are digital models, right? They are yeah. online. So as marketers, you have a lot of data to kind of understand what paths are successful for people and where do they get stuck. And then as a marketer, you can start to figure out what are the tools that I can bring into that process to help really educate the user through the process. Because when you're, when you're marketing a new process, education, um, whether it's low touch or high touch, becomes a really important part of that process. Yes, I think the aha moment is is critical, and and I think you have that whether you have a freemium model or not. There's a there's a point of of, of value kind of realization when in your customer lifecycle uh, journey, whether whether it's a free product or not. But for the free product, I think it's a little bit more challenging in some ways. And what what data or what yeah what what are you looking at? Like how are you actually figuring that out? Because I think you're you're right. There's a blessing. You have all this data that you can look at. But then there's also this curse that you have all this data that you can look at. And <laughs> right. like, what, what part of that should I really be looking at? And what should I actually be ignoring? You can, you can definitely get into kind of analysis paralysis. Uh, but I think as you, you look at data, you really want to look at, you, you really want to look at your customer path. So I always say, look at the quantitative with the qualitative. Um, because the quantitative data will give you some really interesting data around which customers are making it through to, to kind of, to purchase the premium product, mm -hmm. right? And then you can say, hey, these are, we, we need more customers like this because it supports the business, even though it may be okay to have customers that are just remain free mm -hmm. for some period of time. But then you can kind of backtrack and say, who are these customers and how are they successfully coming onto the service and able to make it through to this, to this, to this mm -hmm. premium point? 
So it's really it's really the commonalities of the of, of your ideal customers is kind of what you're saying. It seems like. Yeah. Okay. And then I always say you you want to go gut check that with convers- real conversations with customers. Sure. So I always say you want to combine the data that you have with a conversation you have around your users really around their buyer journey and what did they experience mm-hmm. when they use the the freemium product and how did they describe the aha moment because that's really probably how you're going to you're going to find those aha moments. And then also, what are the things that are going to get them to buy? How do you how do you have the right team that works together to to work on this stuff? Like if if you're out there listening, how should you be thinking about having the right skills and team to to be successful here? You know, your really critical skill sets are, you know, freemium is a lot about product, so you absolutely want a, a strong product skill set, and then you want product and marketing, and sometimes it ends up being in some companies the same person or the same team of people, but you want them working really closely together because when you think about what's different with with freemium, your free product has to sell the premium product, Mm -hmm. right? So, So there has to be a bunch of activities that happen inside the product that help expose users to the premium value help get them to that aha moment and also help them understand how to upgrade uh, in many models in a relatively touchless way, right? So that the product has to do a lot more heavy lifting in this kind of model than, than it, it might do in a non-premium model where you're really more focused on product features versus also having to think about how do I communicate with the customer? A, a great example of that is it, at Dropbox, we were looking at um, you know, all of the great, you know, we've got half a billion registered users there, all these great users, and how do we um, communicate more about the premium products and the value mm-hmm. of those products to those users? And we collaborated on some great ways to communicate with the users inside the product um, that was incredibly effective because it gave us a new communication channel because, as you know, as a marketer, there's not a lot of ways you can, you can kind of get the attention of the user. Um, so being able to work through the product and market through the product and really have those conversations in the context of the product is incredibly important, but it's something that requires a lot of, of collaboration between marketing and product. So you said something very interesting there. It's like, you know, the product has to sell, the free product has to sell the, the paid version of the product. I know, I know some companies that run kind of a assisted freemium model where, You've got exactly. a like a coach or a helper or in some ways maybe a support-ish type person that that helps and aids the the freemium user along in their journey. Have you ever experimented with that? Like what's what's your take on that? It's a little higher cost, a little higher touch. Like what how how does that all work out? Absolutely. I think that that is an incredibly valid model. And that's why I said a lot of times the, the, the premium the free product needs to do a lot of the heavy lifting. It may not be doing all of the heavy lifting right. um, to help the user see the value of premium. Um, and and a lot of it goes back to, you know, how you know, how, how much does the user need to think about in order to upgrade to premium? Are there broader organizational implications they need to think about? Are there some more are there some integration points? that they may need to tackle. A lot of those things are really going to require some assistance um, from an inside sales team, from support, as, as you said, from someone who can kind of coach them through the process. So, but you still want that free product to be, to be getting the customer to the point where they want that value. 
And that's where I think even when you're in a sales assisted model or a, or a pure sales model, free still needs to be highlighting the value that is going to become the key value that customers want to buy with premium. You know, the really great freemium apps beyond being easy to use and knowing those aha moments have, have some type of a viral coefficient. They have the ability for an existing user to bring in new users. And, you know, I think Dropbox is a kind of a classic example of, of that model actually working really well. Why, do, why does it work so well in, 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 for Dropbox? And like you were in there, you, you saw under the hood, like why, what was it about the mechanics of that product that made it work so well? Yeah, I mean, Dropbox benefited from two levels of virality, really. You know, one was the fact that the product is inherently viral, right? Right. While it's a product that would allow people to access their files from anywhere, what people were really doing with Dropbox was sharing files and working together with others. Um, so because of that nature, you, you had your own users sharing with others and bringing them onto the Dropbox product, which was fantastic. And then... Uh, from a marketing standpoint, they also had the viral accelerator of giving users free space uh, if they brought friends and family and other colleagues mm -hmm. onto the platform. So it was also a way for them to increase the space that we had, they had with their free product uh, by telling others about Dropbox. And those things together were incredibly successful. And they're so important in a freemium product because in a freemium product, you know, your, your product is free and that, that really is some of your your marketing spend is that free product. So you, you may not want to go out and do a lot of traditional marketing to bring people onto the free product. So you really have to think about how do you, how do you make the free product sell itself at some level? Yeah, so what's, I think what's interesting here is that uh, on surface level, what you just said, those two kind of viral components of the product make total sense. And I think a lot of people have tried to kind of copy and replicate them over time since Dropbox originally did it and to far, far less success. Is that because of, in your opinion, timing that Dropbox just had better timing in the market, that the product was honestly just that much easier to use and, and had that much less friction? Like why have people had a hard time replicating those same triggers? There's a bunch of products that just aren't inherently viral, right? And you can't, you kind of can't force fit virality into a model that isn't inherently viral. I think the other thing that's really important with viral models is simplicity um, and that you have an incredibly simple value proposition that people can communicate to create virality. You know, so with, with Dropbox, it was, it was share a file, right? And, and that was something that happened naturally, or it was sign up and get free space. So you just need a really simple value proposition that people can understand from the get-go. You know, it's, again, all this stuff sounds simple, but it's, you know, in the sausage making of building a company, it's very easy to overcomplicate it and uh, overthink it, which I think is and oftentimes kind of the downside of this, of this model. So when you, when you think about your, your time at Dropbox, you guys had a, had this really cranking freemium model, a lot of virality, really high user growth. But I imagine that came with its own set of challenges. You know, what, what are the challenges people are most likely to run into as their freemium model kind of starts scaling up? You know, I think there's a, a couple of things you really got to pay attention to as you're building a freemium model. Um, the first one is really around just knowing 
for a freemium model, you need to get a lot of users really excited about using your free product, mm-hmm. right? It, it sounds like a no-brainer, but uh, you know you need enough volume so that if you're only upselling two percent or ten percent or twenty-five percent of those users, you know you, you're going to have enough people coming into the premium product um, that it makes sense from a business standpoint. So I think you know the first thing with freemium is making sure the free product is powerful enough to really attract um, those users. And now the, the trick then is making sure that your free premium split is one that is going to support the business, right? Because with free and premium, you're always kind of testing the boundaries on what should be in free and what should be in premium. And, and sometimes you're not going to get it right, right? If you put too yeah. much in free, oh, you know, you're not going to have enough people upselling to premium. You're going to see that in your numbers. You're going to hear that from the customers. And then over time, you need to sit down with your product team and think about how do we start to build more features and capabilities into premium so that uh, even though initially it may be more important to get people into free, over time, we want to be upselling and making sure that we have an economic model that really supports the business. Um, And then I think the, the other thing that's really tricky from a freemium standpoint is that, you know, you're... Your marketers need to really understand selling through the full customer life cycle, right? So I think the other place where you can get tripped up on a freemium model, you can, you know, you know, not have your free proposition quite right. You can get tripped up on what's free and what's premium. And then you also need to really be selling through the whole marketing life cycle, right? Because churn um, and retention become incredibly important. Uh, because usually your customer acquisition cost is based off of assuming that you're going to have this customer for a while with many freemium products. And this was the case of Shutterfly and, and Lookout and Dropbox. You hope to have those customers for years and years. Right. Um, so you really want to pay attention to your retention. And the flip side of that is your churn. Why are users leaving? You know, what what's happening once they, they pay for the product? So as a marketer, you really need to be paying attention all the way through the customer life cycle to make sure that those economics are going to work long term. All right, so we, you kind of hinted, and we we kind of hinted in our discussion right right just a second ago, and now we probably got people like, well, all right, I'm building this freemium business. Like, what should like my funnel look like in aggregate? What are like what should my conversion rates be from somebody who visits my sign up page to signs up to actually starts using my product to actually upgrades and pays for something like. You know, if, if if you and I were, were venture capitalists and we were out there investing, like, what do you what do you think the right uh, conversion rates at those stages of the of a freemium funnel should look like? Yeah, I mean, it's get, like, like as you know, it's going to be different for different businesses. Sure, sure. But there's definitely some some ranges that you look for at, at different key points, right? And to to feel like you're you're on the right track, even though you're going to evolve those those numbers over time. You want to be looking at these, you know, the conversion rate on, of your users into a free process is important, but it's probably more like I'd pay less attention to the conversion of people into free as long as you're getting an acceptable number of free people. And really looking at, um, you know, people tend to really focus on the conversion rate to premium. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I think is very important is making sure that users are engaging in the key features and capabilities that will help them see the value of the free product. And this goes back to free needs to sell premium um, and how you kind of 
sequence the customer experience, you really want to make sure that as users are coming into that free product, before you hit them with a, hey, buy our premium product message, that they've really seen the value of the free product. And we used to say this at Lookout that, you know, originally we found we were hitting the users with too many messages up front. They'd, they'd come on with free and then we'd offer them a trial to premium. They're getting super confused about that. So we said, let's just try to make sure that they're using a couple of the key features that will help them see the value of the product. So we really looked at what percent of users on free were becoming engaged active users mm -hmm. as a key metric. And then, and then you can look at as a percentage of that, how many, because the people aren't, who aren't engaged active users on free probably aren't going to upsell to premium. So rather than just looking at who are all our free users and what percentage of them buy premium, you can really say of the people who are engaged active users, what percent of them are upgrading to premium? Um, and start to understand what those conversion rates are. Because you may say, you know, of all of your free users, maybe 2% of them are upgrading to premium. But of your active users, you may find that 25% of them are upgrading to premium. So that then helps you think about, okay, uh, how do we get more users who look like the users that are upgrading to premium? And how do we encourage more users to to find that value in the free product so that they can be on a better path to realize the value of premium. Good, really good insight into the kind of the intricacies around a freemium funnel. And you're right, it looks very different depending on the business and the product and everything else. But I think those were some good benchmarks for, and, and areas of focus for folks listening. You know, before we let you go, I would love to, you know, you've been through a bunch of awesome companies, you've learned a lot about this model if, if, you, if you had a time machine and could go back and, and yeah. do something differently now, now that you know what you, you know now, what, what company would you go back to? Kind of like, what would you change? Uh, that's a great question. Um, I, would, I would go back to Netscape because I think Netscape's a really interesting one. I'm, ta I'm taking us back a little bit here. Um, but I think it's a, a pivotal co company in the history of the internet. Incredibly pivotal company in the history of the internet. And, uh, I think one of the challenges of being first is that it is truly harder to pioneer both the business model and the marketing model around that product. And I think one of the opportunities for Netscape was to pioneer a, a pretty radically new freemium model. Maybe on the consumer side, it could have pioneered an ad model and looked more mm -hmm. like Yahoo. Mm -hmm. um, or, or it could have pioneered a very different business model instead of kind of going head to head with Microsoft. So I think because Netscape had such broad adoption, right? It had 90% of the market at one point. Uh, it had the opportunity to turn that free adoption into an incredibly powerful and innovative business. Um, and even though Netscape continued to innovate and there were lots of great things they did in the market, it was very difficult because they followed, they, they kind of followed the Microsoft path and ended up in head-to-head in -head competition with a, a pretty tough competitor. Uh, so I always look back on, on Netscape because it was such a fantastic company with such a great set of people and think about uh, how could have they taken that incredibly innovative business model in that moment in time when they had such strong adoption. And they did really innovate because they made the browser free mm -hmm. um, and turned that into a business model that could have lasted. 
wow, there's just a whole series of what ifs there that uh, the internet could have yeah. played out very differently uh, if, if if Netscape had made some different decisions. It's, uh, it's yeah, really, really we're still pretty pivotal. excited about where the internet is today. So. I know the the internet's <laughs> incredible, but it's like the landscape probably would have looked a little different. And you could say it with other early stage companies. You could say that you know the same thing about if Yahoo had bought Google. There's a whole host of things that would have happened out there. But it's uh, it's, it's it's an interesting conversation nonetheless. There are new business models coming out all the time, right? We're talking about premium today. That's going to be called something else in three to five years, and it forces you as a marketer to you know, stay true to the fundamentals, right? It's still about customer and positioning and differentiation, but always be thinking about what are the new ways I can reach a customer? You have to reinvent what you do with every new business model. And even though the fundamentals of marketing don't change, mm-hmm. you still have to stay focused on the customer and put the customer first. You need to have great differentiation and positioning and messaging. You have an opportunity to rethink how you reach users with every new model and with every new disruptive technology uh, that comes into the market. So it's pretty exciting, I think, for, for us as, as marketers and marketing leaders to always be thinking about, you know, what's the next new way we're going to be marketing to customers down the road? I, I think there's going to be, a, I'm with you, there's going to be a whole host of transition and evolution over the next three to five years that are going to open so many doors up for marketers. It's, it's, it's an incredibly exciting time. Exciting time. I'm, I'm psyched about it. Before we let you we let you go, uh, you've worked with just a ton of interesting people and leaders throughout your career. Yeah. Could you share a few maybe leadership gems, like some things you've learned around maybe leading and motivating people along the way from from the great crew of folks you've been fortunate enough to work with? Absolutely. Um, you know, I, I was really fortunate in that I worked at some companies early in my career uh, where the people I worked with have have gone on to just do really incredible things in the market. Uh, So an example of that is Jim Barksdale at Netscape, um, as well as several other folks who I'll mention. And and Jim Barksdale was just such a, he was such a great leader. And he really thought about how he developed leaders within his company. Um, and he, he came up with a, a bunch of things that just people remember. If you had worked with him, you see someone else that worked with Jim, they'll remember the things that he told us. Uh, so a great example was he would tell us, you know, if you see a snake, kill it. <laughs> and it, it really meant, you know, if, if, if something is kind of, there's an issue that keeps coming up, you, you need to wrestle it to the ground, right? And you need, to, you need to identify it, and you need to figure out what you're going to do about it. And he also had a saying, which was, don't play with dead snakes. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> so once you decided that was something you're not going to do, don't go back to it, um, which I thought was fantastic. And then also at Netscape, I had the, the great opportunity to work with Ben Horowitz, um, who, who's now uh, at A16Z, a venture mm-hmm. capital firm. Yep. And um, Ben, besides being an, an amazing venture and investment leader today, at that time was just a fantastic product leader. Um, and I, I always admired Ben because he was really great at, at distilling down what you should do and not do in a role. Um, and there's still a great uh, piece that he wrote, um, which you, you may seem a little dated now, but it was called Good Product Manager, Bad Product Manager. <laughs> and at this point in my life, I, I was a product manager. So, you know, the things that he wrote, I thought, really crystallized what you were supposed to do in that role. And I think that's really important in growing and scaling companies 
is to make sure that you're able to help everyone understand what they're supposed to do in a role. And then I'd say just, just more recently, working with Ruin and Rush at Dropbox, um, their founders with such a clear vision of what they want the, the customer experience to be and how important it is to keep simplicity really forefront um, in the product process. That uh, that was inspirational because as you get bigger as a company, there's always all this pressure to add features and, and bolt on new things that the customer is asking for. Uh, but really keeping a clear vision of what's the advantage of your product and how do you make sure that that product continues to be valuable to your customers and can continue to grow that customer base is incredibly important. And I thought at Dropbox, just Drew and Arash had such a clear vision around where they wanted the customer experience and the product to go that uh, it was it was really inspirational for the company. One very good lessons too, such an awesome opportunity to uh, work with great folks like that. You know, it's, uh, it's the quality of folks that you're able to work with makes such a difference in the, the output of the, of the work of the team. Uh, I think that is an amazing note for us to end our conversation on. Julie, it has been so awesome to talk with you today, hang out and talk a little bit about marketing in the freemium world. It's, uh, it's a lot of fun. Appreciate you taking the time and doing this with us. Great. Well, thank you so much, Kat. Attention, Growth Show listeners. We want you in Boston this November at Inbound 2016. The Growth Show team is going to be there. We are excited to announce that at this event, we're going to have Alec Baldwin in the house talking about it, fellow podcaster. So we hope to see you in Boston this November at Inbound. Check out inbound.com for all the details.